Welcome to Leadership Arts Review, a dynamic podcast about the art and science of leadership. Join us as we explore a different leadership book each episode. We will help you navigate all the theories and strategies out there and find the elements that work for you. We will share what we liked, what we learned, and what we recommend. I'm Alyssa. I'm Kate. I'm Nithya. In today's episode, we will be discussing The Outward Mindset, Seeing Beyond Ourselves by the Arbinger Institute. The authors write, when faced with personal ineffectiveness or lagging organizational performance, most of us instinctively look for quick fix behavioral band-aids, not recognizing the underlying mindset at the heart of our most persistent challenges. People often use the term mindset to refer to a core belief about oneself. However, in our experience over three decades helping individuals and organizations, the biggest lever for change is not a change in self-belief, but a fundamental change in the way one sees and regards one's connections with and obligations to others. This book is about the difference between a self-focused inward mindset and an others-inclusive outward mindset. So I'd like to start our conversation around this general concept of seeing things differently, looking at how we see things and changing that frame. What does that mean? I think what I liked about this initial reframing was that it kind of calls us out as human professional adults. It calls us out that we tend to focus on behaviors of other people and changing those behaviors sometimes bending other people to our will, but it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It can just be seeing people and their behaviors as a means to an end. And how do I get people to do the things I want or the things that I need in order to get my thing done versus how do I engage people based on what they're currently being challenged with, what they really need, How do I bring them along so that we all work towards a common goal? So many teams and organizations would probably posit that they do bring people along and do focus on collective results, but actually don't. When you get down to the actual micro interactions, they're really just trying to drive their own agenda and get people to do things a different way. Whereas this shift is all focused on mindset and how do you not read minds because you can't, but how do you get folks to shift their mindset and actually come along for the ride and feel bought into the ultimate collective result? And that really involves seeing them as humans, just like yourself versus pawns in your own little game. Yeah. I mean, I think that the fact that you sort of go to the, you can't read minds place really ties into my sense of what this whole idea of seeing differently is because there's this reality that if we look at the world through different perspectives and different lenses, we actually see it differently. We pick out different things. And one of the things that we do habitually when we're trying to take shortcuts is we assume that what's going on behind somebody else's eyes is the same as what would be going on behind our eyes when we are doing the behavior that we're observing. And to simply see the behavior that other people do and not assume that it comes from the intentions and the thoughts and feelings that we imagine we would be having doing that Hmm. transforms everything because all of a sudden we don't know what's going on. 
and we actually have to become curious and we have to ask questions and we have to think. It's really interesting to me as well. There's so much about asking about what people need. And I know that I've had so many conversations where someone is asking my advice and it's about how to work with another person and they say something and my response is ask them. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a wall where the idea of actually asking someone a question that you have is beyond the scope <laughs> in their head. They think about it and say, oh, you know, you're right. I should ask them. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was so interesting is that when we learn and get trained on communications, we're always taught that with communications, it's about the message and it's about the other person. That communications is always about the audience. Then in other skills and other parts of leadership, we're not taught that it's about the other person necessarily. We can spend so much time on our agenda. And to your point, Nithya, it is a lot about behavior change. When you're going in with change management, it's what do they do now? What do they need to do in the future state? And that mindset part gets forgotten. Yeah. And some of this is about moving quickly. When we have things to do, we move quickly towards that. And that's often seen as a virtue. But one of the stories, I think, very, very early on in the book that illustrates the absolute power of pausing to see what the humans along the way need is the story of the raid on the house where, and I, I absolutely love the story, and, and I might get some of the details wrong here, but to paraphrase, law enforcement raids a location where folks are suspected of some sort of drug-related crimes. And as this raid is taking place, one of the law enforcement officers actually thinks to pause, go into the kitchen and heat up or prepare formula for the young babies of the mothers who are living in that house, who, who are presumably associated with the people who are about to be arrested. And a traditional approach would not consider these mothers and the kids. They're there to do a job. They're there to raid and arrest people and go through their law enforcement processes. But instead, this person thought to stop and think about, well, what about these other folks, these other people, the mothers and the children, who are in absolute distress, the babies are screaming, there's chaos. We're kind of not able to do our jobs as effectively because of this chaos. What is the collective goal here? The collective result is, is for us to complete this raid successfully and, and get the people that we need to get. But in order to do that, there needs to be calm and peace. And what do these mothers and children need? They need for the, the children to be quiet and be fed. And so what a creative solution and not one that you can necessarily plan beforehand, but one that in the moment you have to look around, see what the needs are, get creative and address that. Not circumventing your needs, not putting your needs um, aside forever, but saying actually there is a better way to do this, looking at all the pieces in here as, as human beings. I love the fact that you bring up the fact that you can't plan these things so often. And I find this in my work too. People want to be told what to do. They want a script or a formula or an action set. And 
what actually needs to happen is what the advice that was given to, I think it was a teacher in one of these stories about a kid who was misbehaving, which is open your heart to the kid and then do what it moves you to. It's that opening your heart that is the shifting the mindset and seeing things differently. See the kid as a a person who's having a challenge getting through the day and not as a behavior problem who needs to be managed. And once you see that, then the story that is told about this teacher finding the child who's run out of the classroom and is hiding and saying, I can't play hide and seek with you right now because I have to teach my class. But if you still want to play when I get a break, I will come and find you. And then having a game of hide and seek that transformed the relationship between the teacher and the child didn't make the child not a behavior problem quickly, but actually opened up the relationship so that something positive could come and progress got made because of it, because the child no longer saw the teacher as the enemy. Yeah. And that idea of wanting to know the script and wanting to know what you do next and letting go of that really ties into the discussion about the role of humility and how leaders need to be humble and that being humble is about perceiving the true capacities and capabilities of their people. So rather than thinking, you know what's best to use that method of just opening your heart. I want to dig a little bit into the discussion around the isolated leader and the together leader, because I think it's a nice segue from what we're talking about. The reason I like that so much is I don't think that if you <laughs> asked any leaders that they describe themselves as an isolated leader. I think everyone likes to, of course not. Yeah, exactly, Alyssa. I think we all like to think of ourselves as the integrated together leader who always knows what their team needs. But actually, we, we might be putting ourselves in a box or closing ourselves off, often without realizing it and, and isolating as a result. So I, I liked that discussion. I think it's really important for leaders to recognize how much work it takes to actually know what's going on in your team. You're fighting against a power structure that means that the people who report to you have a tendency to tell you what they think you want them to say rather than what's really going on. And that it actually takes active effort to get beneath that veneer to find out what's actually going on. So there are a lot of leaders who think that they know what's going on and don't realize that they're not actually being given the information that they would need to really understand what's going on. As we talk about the isolated leader and the together leader and think a little bit about leadership development. So much of leadership development focuses on introspection and reflection. And I really appreciated the framing of outward mindset introspection because we're just dealing so much with these words of inward and outward that it could be really easy to say, well, if I'm doing introspection, then suddenly I'm mm -hmm. switching to inner mindset. And the idea of how introspection is still very helpful in cultivating an outward mindset was really interesting to me. Yeah. The idea that 
when you're going inwards and thinking about what do I need and what am I getting out of this and, and what's going on with me, that's inward. But when you go inside and you're going, how am I bringing myself to this to try and bring trust? How are they responding to me? Are there things I need to do differently to have a different impact? That's still looking inward and that's still looking at yourself, but it's looking at it through a different set of questions. I'm curious, what then is the role of inward thinking? That was just a question I left this book with, because as leaders, we, we do have to think about our own interests, our progression within a company, for instance, our goals that we have to meet, our individual interests. And I'd love to know what you both think about what happens to that in an outward mindset. Do those just fall away? Can leaders really be totally selfless in that way? What did you get from that? What I got from it was that when you're looking inward, you're still learning about yourself and thinking about your goals, your motivations, and you're looking at how does that connect to others? How does that connect to the bigger goal? So I feel like as long as there's kind of that step two, then you're still doing the internal work that leaders need to do to continue to grow. And part of that internal work could also be just questioning, when did I really exhibit an outward mindset today? And might I have been able to exhibit more of an outward mindset? When did I take others' needs into consideration? And when was I in tunnel vision about what I wanted to achieve? Yeah, I think that when I think about this, the intended audience of the book is part of how I interpret the book because this book is aimed at leaders and leaders have a tendency to know what I want, where I'm going, what I'm trying to get to because that's how they got into positions of leadership. And so for me, it's not that an inward looking at yourself and what do you want and what are your needs is something you should not do. It's absolutely something you should do to some extent. And if that's all you do and that's all you're focused on, you're going to get in real trouble. So the outward mindset is absolutely a counter to too much inward mindset. I think it's also possible to have too much outward mindset. Um, The people who have too much outward mindset have a tendency to not accomplish their own goals. I find that often the people who get the balance sort of right-ish know who they are and know what matters to them and have some goals. And then they just operate checking in on that from time to time. But from a predominantly outward mindset, just making sure that they don't step on their own goals in the process of helping meet other people's needs. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think it's worth mentioning that when the book talks about an inward mindset, it doesn't necessarily say that the focus is on you as an individual, as a leader. It's possible to have an inward mindset when thinking about your team as well. So, and this distinction I think is really important because if any listeners are here sitting here thinking, gosh, who are these selfish people with an inward mindset? I'm not like that. I, I'm always thinking about my team. Well, if you're thinking about your team and you have 
a pretty set mindset or, or even a dogmatic approach to how that team should achieve its goals or where it's headed, or you have a vision for the team that's pretty set in stone and others kind of come along for it, that's still an inward mindset. Even though it's not about your personal goals, it is about the team's goals. And ostensibly you are thinking about the company, but you're fixed in your ways and you're not bringing people along with you. So that's that's the kind of interesting paradox. Is like you can play like you're thinking about other people and about collective goals while still having an inward mindset. Yeah. And how many organizations have we spent time in where teams are focused on taking care of the team? And so I'm all about my team. I'm all looking outward to my team people. <laughs> Just that other team over there, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> exactly. Us yeah, and them, like, you know, silos. Yeah. Absolutely. I also like the description of outwardly nice. And I think we see that a lot as well, where if you were to ask someone if they have an inward mindset or an outward mindset, of course, their first answer is going to be, I, I have an outward mindset, but are they outwardly nice, where they're still focusing on themselves and this whole shift to focusing on your impact, as opposed to yourself, can be a real game changer, I think, for people. I actually think that it's that shift to thinking about your impact that is the game changer because thinking about your impact gets past the, I don't know what's going on behind somebody else's eyes problem because yes. that inwardly nice often looks like, but I'm treating them exactly like I would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Yep. And because what's going on inside them is so different than what is going on inside you, it's very easy to like, I'm treating them the way that I want to be treated. And why aren't they responding the right way? <laughs> yeah. So doing that extra homework in terms of getting to know people and treating them the way they want to be treated. Yeah. And, and you don't actually need to understand them all that well. If you focus on your impact, you can actually do an experiment where you change your behavior and you see what impact it has. And you don't necessarily need to have those deep conversations about what's going on underneath the surface because you can see your impact. That's a great point. And that takes us right into what they call the SAM process, which is see, adjust, and measure. The first seeing is seeing the needs and objectives of others and adjusting your behavior accordingly, and then measuring your impact. So how did that strike you? I saw parallels to the concept of emotional intelligence that some of our listeners may be familiar with. And what I mean by that is that emotional intelligence isn't about reading minds, just like having an outward mindset isn't about reading minds. It is paying enough attention to the needs and challenges of others such that you're able to see what's important to them through their words and through their behaviors. And you can't just stop there. You can't just stop with awareness. You have to moderate your own behaviors to be able to achieve the collective result and then keep monitoring it. So it's, it's actually quite similar to the uh, Daniel Goleman emotional intelligence model I found. And I liked it because it's iterative. It's not a one-time thing. 
you have to keep adjusting, keep measuring and going back and saying, okay, am I, am I seeing them now? Or is there something else that I'm not seeing here? And then revisit the process. Yeah. I love that you said iterative because it is a beautiful segue to where I go with this, which is, this is an agile process. I mean, this is the heart of agile. Agile is what do my customers need? So I make what they need in a little bit of an increment. I see if they want it and I make something different in response to whether they want it or not. And it's incremental and it's very customer focused and it's always looking for what is needed and then testing and iterating. I really love that it's just a simple way of making that sort of generalizable. I think that one of the things that probably most gets in the way for leaders to do this see, adjust, measure, SAM process is experience years under your belt. Because if you know what you're doing and you have subject matter expertise, it becomes harder and harder, in my view, to see others around you as having expertise and needs and challenges different from your own. And it's easy to get into this mindset of, well, I know what's best, not because I'm a terrible person or a jerk, but I've done this before. And it's that kind of thinking that stalls innovation. And what comes out in so many of the stories that are laid out in the book is that innovation gets unlocked for these companies when they stop that kind of thinking and, and don't lean on experience or expertise as a crutch, but rather look around, check their assumptions and well, be vulnerable and, and encourage the others around them to be vulnerable. And that's, it's just a lesson that you have to keep questioning and, and keep going back to that. You can't just assume you have it all figured out. I think the story that really illustrates what you're talking about, Kate, with Agile is about the budgeting process and the different groups where there was a budgeting process that to compare it to software was a waterfall process. Nothing moved forward until everything at stage A was complete. And as they talked among the groups, and I, I love the metaphor of the Bluetooth connections, that the outward mindset suddenly made these connections discoverable. As they talked about that, they realized that there were things, there were really easy things that could be done that could help accelerate the process, the 20% that they needed more information they could hold back on, but the other things that could move forward would move forward. And just how they came to that together by saying, you know, well, what do you need to do this? And what do you need to do this? And if something that I get from you then is gonna take me three months, but you can give it to me one month earlier than you thought, it was kind of this snowball of efficiency and snowball of successful outcomes. And I think that speaks to the agile mindset that goes parallel to an outward mindset. It's destabilizing if you're used to feeling like you have control and you put all your ducks in a row and then you hand things off to sort of put your ducks kind of in the right room and hand them off and like <laughs> let them reorganize themselves later is really chaotic. And learning to trust that there's stuff that becomes possible because of the chaos that is valuable enough to learn to become comfortable with it being messy, that actually is a massive shift 
for a lot of people because it doesn't feel nice at first. Absolutely. Well, I would say something I struggle with a lot in this area, staying on the ducks metaphor here, <laughs> is just trusting certain other people with my ducks. I will be the first to admit that I get into a box and I find it very, very, very hard to get out of it. And so any attempts to change my mindset, I feel a great internal resistance to that. And I think the book talks about justification. I continually, <laughs> because I'm human, find ways to justify the way that I feel about someone because of one or two behaviors that took place or some interaction where I have now made up my mind that this person can't handle my ducks <laughs> or, or that I don't need to listen to their ideas. And so what happens as a result is that person's creativity gets shut off. And the, the chaos, as Kate said, that might result from, from true engagement doesn't happen. So it's that short term, I'm saving myself the chaos, but I might also be depriving myself of long-term innovation. So, I mean, anybody listening who feels like this is really hard, I resist this with certain people, I, I'm right there with you. I probably did it today, in fact. <laughs> the other word that comes to mind for me is that feeling of ownership. You You feel you have ownership of of these ducks and yes. so at the same time they i love the ducks at the same time that you don't want to give the ducks up you also don't want anyone to know if there's something wrong with one of your ducks mm -hmm. because you're so attached to it that something wrong with one of your ducks means there's something wrong with you yeah and that was really well illustrated in the story about Ford, where a new CEO came in and he wanted weekly updates of metrics that he knew things were falling short. And yet everyone's presentation, everything was always green. And the first time that somebody actually showed a metric that was in the red, he made a point of saying, the measurement is red, you are not red. And it just, I get this I get this picture in my head of a deep exhale in the room of oh okay it's about the work itself and it doesn't have to be this reflection on me and when I do get honest and real about it then I open up all these avenues for help for collaboration and to your point at the to innovation yeah. There, isn't there a story in here about someone who comes in and says, so as far as you're, you're all concerned for now, it's your problem and you are the problem? Tubular. Authors met with the founder and CEO of Tubular Steel and they say that during their first meeting, they focused on helping each executive team reassess his or her contributions to the challenges the company faced and asked them to consider the statement, as far as I'm concerned, the problem is me. The principle to apply is, as far as I'm concerned, the problem is me. I am the place to start. Most important move is for me to make the most important move. It's that piece of, I'm the problem and I'm the one who can solve it. So it's my turn to go first. So right. almost counterintuitively, separating the person from the problem in the way that the Ford story unfolded actually enables people to feel closer to the problem and take responsibility and see themselves as part of the solution. 
Yeah. The see themselves as part of is so valuable. Like if we go back to the ducks metaphor, it's so much easier if you can actually trust that they're our ducks. Yeah. It becomes easier to let go of some of that because if it feels like I'm giving my ducks to you and then you're going to make them your ducks, it's like, no. But if somehow there are ducks. Something you touched on it, earlier, Kate, about making the first move really stuck out to me there because sometimes fear, anxiety, or just simply inertia can hold people back from making that first move towards an outward mindset that takes courage and not everybody is necessarily willing or able to make that step at first. But what I think of is for those who are familiar with game theory at all, the prisoner's dilemma comes to mind for me. And that was what popped in my head when I was reading this. Mm -hmm. For those who aren't familiar, the quick synopsis there is that two bank robbers are arrested during a bank robbery and separately questioned and there's a whole intricate set of rules that are set up around how much jail time they'll each get if they rat on each other or if they cooperate or if they stay silent. And the ultimate takeaway is that if they cooperate with each other and lean in and protect each other, that's the most optimal outcome for them. They're going to do the least amount of jail time in this fake problem. <laughs> uh, but of course, they're being questioned separately, so they don't know what the other person's going to say or do. And so it requires immense courage and trust to step in and say, I'm going to do right by this person and protect them because I know that that's going to be optimal overall as far as the collective result. And I'm going to hope and trust that they do the same. But of course, you don't know. And the incentives are all out of whack. So the tendency is to go with your individual incentives, which is that inward mindset. And I, I loved the depiction of that in this book saying that regardless of whether the people around you all have inward mindsets, you take the first step you trust and take that outward mindset and know that through those mindsets and behaviors, things will shift over time and that overall you're going to have the more optimal outcome that way. Yeah. There was a lovely discussion at some point late in the book about how incredibly difficult it is to keep coming back to, I'm going to stay in an outward mindset when you're surrounded by people who have an inward mindset and how having an outward mindset in the presence of someone who has an inward mindset invites them to join you, but can't, the whole point is you can't make them join you. The moment you start trying to make them join you, you've gone inward. And so to actually just hold the outward mindset and let what happens as a result happen is so hard if people are slow to step in and take that invitation. The thing that struck me in the make the first move was there's, and this one I don't think there was a story with, but there's a description of the dynamic that happens when you're like, well, okay, I'm going to make the first move, but just I'm just going to test the water. And I'm going to see whether it's safe to do this. And I'm going to see whether they're going to follow me. So I just like dip my toe in and nobody responds. Mm. So I just come back. So actually you haven't tested the water. All you've done is demonstrate hesitancy about the water and right. made it less appealing. And this reminds me of a director I had when I was acting in college 
And one of the things that actors do all the time when they haven't been told to make a move and they're in rehearsal and they have an impulse to do something is that they'll lean in the direction that they are tempted to go <laughs> or they'll rock forward or maybe they'll step half a foot forward. And this director said, if you have an impulse to move, I want you to take the first three steps in the direction because then I know you intended it. I know what you were doing and I have a sense of what would happen in the scene if you did it. And then I have enough information to tell you whether it's a good thing or not for the rest of the scene. If you think about see others and adapt and then measure your impact, seeing others in that context is actually like seeing what's going on on stage and having a response to it. Then changing your behavior, adapting your behavior is taking those three steps and then you've done enough that it can be looked at. Yeah, you have to make an impact in order to measure your impact. And that yeah. O in the water doesn't give people enough to respond to for you to see what your impact is. One thing that went through my head as I was reading about this and curious to know your take on it. When I teach around developing people in teams, we focus on skills that are about developing your direct reports or helping a team be more effective. And a question I get quite often is, how do you use these skills for managing up? What are your recommendations for managing up? That's usually the question. What are your recommendations for managing up? And I don't always have a good answer. I felt like an answer was formulating as I was reading this that the idea of having an outward mindset with whoever that person is of managing up, and I'm doing quotation marks, by looking at the needs and objectives of whoever that person is, that actually focusing on an outward mindset with that person can be a really effective way of managing up. And I don't love that language, but that's what was going through my head. I love that, Alyssa, because too often I think managing up, again, in air quotes, can be conflated with manipulation or how do I just get in the good books of my manager or get what I want. But of course, that's that reeks of inward mindset. And I think what you said is that probably a better way to advance what the, the team needs to move forward is in seeing your manager as another human with needs of their own. Imagine that. Imagine, I know, oh, what right? a radical concept, isn't it? But it, but it's true. I think we, we all fall into that trap of the boss who just has it all figured out and we kind of turn them into this robotic caricature of themselves. Even the best of them, even the best of managers, we, we don't realize that they have insecurities of their own, anxieties of their own. They're incredibly busy. They are pulled in a hundred directions. And so actually knowledge of this, empathy of this and bringing them along helps you and isn't at the cost of your own advancement or your own career. In fact, I think jointly when, when you and your manager are able to see each other's successes as the same as your own success, you all advance more than, than you otherwise would. Yeah. I have had a series of clients over the last couple of years where this was actually the primary issue that they came to me to work on. And it always comes back to your manager, your boss 
has a hidden agenda that is your job. <laughs> they think that their job is to get you to do your job, but what they actually need you to do is to help them do their job. Yes. And if you can figure out what their job is and what their supervisor needs from them and how you can contribute to what they need to provide to their supervisor, you become absolutely indispensable. Exactly. So one last area to look at is this idea of moving outward mindset from individual to organizational. What would it mean for a system to have an outward mindset? And especially what that could mean from a review process. The idea of measuring people based on results relative to opportunity for impact, rather than saying, these are the numbers you have to hit and people either gaming the system or getting really stressed out at the end of the year to make certain numbers that they're actually measured on how often they took advantage of opportunities for impact and what kind of impact that they have. I think that would be a big shift for a lot of organizations, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Yes, and equally, Alyssa, I like when you talk about individual performance and the way to rethink that. And there's also organizational performance and how an organization shows up in the world. What's the impact on the world? There may be exceptions to this, but gone are the days pretty much when the companies that are talked about in most, I think, law school and business school books <laughs> exist where, you know, it's like a business is churning out 20 widgets and, and makes the $40 off of them. It's not really how the modern organization operates and uh, whether it's in technology or manufacturing or any other industry, there is global impact to what you do. And I think connecting performance to that would reflect an organizational outward mindset where results aren't just measured in terms of dollars earned or what have you, but on what impact are we having on the world? For instance, how, in the case of technology companies, how much information access is there? How open are we keeping information? How connected are people as an equal measure of performance and not just bottom line? Yeah. And it's really interesting because it gets to when we talked about it being tough to have an outward mindset as an individual surrounded by people with inward mindsets to try and figure out how to succeed as a business because you have to make enough money to be a business in a world where you're trying to not externalize your environmental costs for instance when you're competing with companies that are externalizing their environmental costs your costs are higher. So it's really hard to stick by your principles as an organization, just like it would be hard as an individual. The hardest thing for people who believe they care about people is actually doing the emotional work of taking responsibility for their unintended negative impacts. And if you're really measuring your impact, you see the bad as well as the good. And now to put this book on the tree of leadership wisdom. Is this book at the roots, foundational knowledge? Is it the trunk, main body of practical wisdom? Or is it branches and specific tools? I think I would put this as a trunk book because it's really only got one idea 
and it's part of a bigger framework in terms of balancing out inward and outward. So I wouldn't put it as roots. And I think it's a really fundamental idea. So I wouldn't put it in branches. I think it's too important to put in the branches. I too would categorize this as a trunk book, partly because there are fundamental concepts, but also one thing we didn't mention in the conversation is that this book is just filled with incredible diagrams that crystallize the knowledge and the stories into one helpful diagram. And while they're not entirely action-oriented, which would make them branches perhaps, they are pretty concrete and a way of turning this foundational thinking into an easy to remember concept. And for anyone listening who wants to check out those diagrams, they're available for free online from the producers of the book. And I find those very helpful. So I also would categorize this as a trunk book. And the reason for me is that at the base of this, there is one foundational idea that good leaders can keep in mind at all times and continue to remind themselves about, which is that idea of treating people as people and what that means for your work and for reaching the collective goals of the organization. And now it's think away time. Each of our hosts will leave us with one thought, idea, question, or practice to think about and take away. My think away comes from one of my favorite quotes in the book, which is that who we are is who we are with others. Mm. So my think away based on that for our listeners is who are you with others? And if you see a separation between who you'd say you are and who you are with others, is that because there are inward mindset behaviors holding you back from that collective result or from that inner innovation that would otherwise be taking place? How can you make who you are and who you are with others a little bit more seamless and consistent and visible to those that you lead? I have another think away that's a provocative question to ask yourself. And that is, when you catch yourself saying, how can I get them to do whatever? Can you make the shift to seeing their needs? My think away is along the same lines and also comes straight from the book, which is what they call the crucial question of asking in any situation, what can I do to be more helpful? This was Leadership Arts Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. You can find more information and additional resources on our website at podcast.leadershipartsreview.com and continue the conversation by following us on Twitter under leadership underscore arts and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under Leadership Arts Review. Leadership Arts Review is a 4 Impala production. Music adapted by 4 Impala from Nathaniel Wyvern's Sanctuary of the Sky Gods under license. Thank you.